highlighted uh, the two great commandments. Uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. The second is like the first. Not because they're both great, but they are. Not because they're both about love, even though they are, but because you can't have one without the other. That's, have you got that speech down? Because I've said that a few times. Okay? Love to live to love. There is no loving that doesn't begin with loving God, and there is no loving others that is not sourced in the love of God, but also there is no loving of God that is not ultimately flowing from and demonstrated in our love for others. So everyone understands that conceptually. The problem is, is that actually getting that done can be very difficult. I would uh, hazard a guess that the hardest parts of your life relate to your and others' failure to love. All failure is a failure to love. And so, um, let me show you a verse of Scripture. Um, you can keep your finger in Matthew 5, because that's where the whole message will be coming from, a paragraph there. But just quickly, um, in the end of the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 24. Now, Matthew 24 and 25 is called uh, the Olivet Discourse. It's where Jesus talks about the signs of his second coming. He doesn't want us to be surprised. He doesn't want us to be caught off guard. And so, while he was still on earth, before he went to heaven and said, I will come again in the same manner as you see me go, he gave some signs so we would know when his coming was near. And starting in Matthew 24, he's laying out these signs. And... Uh, they will lead many astray. Many will come saying, I'm the Christ, and will lead many astray. And then nation will rise against nation, verse 7. All these are the beginning of birth pains. They will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. You will be hated by all nations. And has there ever been more animosity against Christ than there is in the world today? Then many, here it is, verse 10, then many will fall away. The, the word there, fall away, is the uh, verb in the Greek language, scandalizo, uh, from which we get uh, the word scandalon, which means a stumbling block. Some translations translate this here, offense. And while the, I think, ultimate apocalyptic importance of this passage relates to people apostatizing. It's hard not to see the relational element of apostasy when he follows up Matthew 24, 10. They will fall away and, see it there, betray one another, Matthew 24, 10, and hate one another. Many of the, one of the signs of Christ's soon return is that Christians will fall away or stumble or be offended and will hate one another and will betray one another. Escalating Christian animosity for Christian is a sign of the nearness of Christ's return. And it is the primary term that describes the obstacle to love. When we preach on vertical living, love to live to love, 
we're saying that that is our very purpose for drawing more breath, to love others with the love that we've been given. But that's hard because we get offended. People say things and do things and steal things and take things and act without regard for their impact on others. And we are not just offended, we are What am I going to say? We are offenders. And what to do so that love can continue. That's why we're in Matthew chapter 5. Let me read the passage to us. You have heard that it was said of old, you shall not murder, Matthew 5, 21. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you'll never get out until you have paid the last penny. All right, title of the message, The Blank of Resolving Offense. What should we put in the blank? Suggestions? How about, how about um, the hassle? The hassle of resolving offense. Finally, someone's going to tell the truth. Resolving offense is a big hassle. Should we call it that? How about the difficulty of resolving offense? You know not what you ask, James. You don't know what he, she, you don't know what I'd have to swallow, what I'd have to... How about the hardship of, how about the pain of resolving offense? Let's call the, how about the impossibility of, let's call the message the impossibility of resolving offense so we can get out of here. (laughs) Call it that. Well, why don't we save what to call it till we get to the end of the message. Start with this. I've given it to you already. The offense, offense is the obstacle to love. The thing where I'm not loving as I should be loving. And by the way, offense is greatest where love has been greatest. It's the people that we care about the most that can hurt us the most. And most people can overlook a slight from a stranger and hardly any of us remember the person who cut us off in traffic. But all of us have a hard time letting go of the hurt caused by the person I sleep beside, the person I eat breakfast across from, the person I go to Christmas dinner with, where the love has been more, the offense is more, even if the action is actually technically less. You can't be a offended if you didn't really love. So I'll say it again. Offense is the obstacle to love. Now this from Matthew 5. Offenses must be resolved. God takes it seriously. It's hard to miss that in verse 21. You have said that it was said to those of old. You have heard that it was said to those of old. What's that talking about? 
We understand that the, uh, you understand that they didn't have at the synagogue, you understand that the, they didn't all have Bibles, right? That, that the scrolls were at the front and do you think you're allowed to go up and touch the scrolls? I just want to hold them for a minute. No, no, no. We'll tell you what they say. There's only one of these. We don't need your grimy hands on. The, it was like that. How blessed we are to hold the word of God in our hands. Amen. And so a lot of the teachings of the Torah were transferred orally, verbally, and heard audibly. You have heard that it was said, it was written actually. For example, in Exodus 20, the sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not kill, which incidentally has caused a lot of confusion because some people, the Quakers, for example, the Amish, which reminds me the other day I was at an ice cream place in Michigan and I saw these Amish people. Do you ever just go up and talk to them? Who does? Who's surprised that I do? <laughs> and so we're all eating ice cream. There must have been 20 of them. They rode in on their bikes, you know, because they can't have engines. They can't have gas. They can't. It's all no modern, nothing like that. And they were just sitting there, just going to town on the ice cream. So they got their hats and everything and their overalls and everything. I got walking up. I was like, hey, y'all, I'm thinking about becoming Amish. <laughs> so I got a question for you. Um, help me out with this. Um, how's that ice cream? They're like, yeah, this is good. I was like, yeah, yeah, it's really good. Wasn't that made with electricity? And they were just like. And one guy says, well, normally we would only eat it if it was made with a, with a generator. I was like, ah, it's, I, it's okay, I'm just kidding. And then like, oh. Then I talked to him for about 15 minutes about Amish stuff. One of the Amish things is you can't kill. You can't be in the army. Passivism, right? Can't be in the army. There shouldn't be any capital punishment. But Genesis chapter 9, verse 6 says, whoever sheds man's blood by him shall blood be shed. The idea is, is that the way to show respect for human life, and this is entrusted to the government, by the way, not to the church, that the highest respect for human life is that if you in a premeditated way take a life, then the culture will know and understand that you have committed the greatest atrocity. You will give your life for in a premeditated way taking another life. This is hard to understand where murder in the womb is wholesale by the millions. We have just lost the idea of respect for life. Nevertheless, the command of Scripture is very clear. Do you see it here? You shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Oh, here it comes. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother. <clears throat> In fact, it's interesting. Jot this reference down. 1 John 3.15 says, whoever hates his brother is a murderer. The Bible equates hatred and murder. If you had a way, if you had an occasion, if you had an opportunity, if you knew you wouldn't get caught, how many people would you help exit this life to be out of your misery? Hatred is murder, biblically speaking. And so 
You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Underline that in verse 22, loved ones, but I say to you, but I say to you, but I say to you. I think it's probably difficult for us to realize how significant that is. The Jewish people so revered their Torah, their law and prophets, their Old Testament. Jesus Christ is doing something pretty audacious and outstanding and impressive here when he says, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. In fact, in the Greek language that the New Testament is written in, there are um, verb endings and in the ending, sometimes the subject. In English, we have the subject and the verb, but sometimes in Greek, we have in the verb is the subject. What's interesting about this passage is, is that the subject is ego or I, and it's in the word and in the verb ending, could be translated this way, listen. You've heard that it was said, but I, even I, say to you. What a declaration of deity. What a proclamation of Jesus Christ and who he is. God of very gods. No wonder they hated him. They understood that he was saying, not replacing the scripture, not contradicting the scripture, but raising the bar. In the Old Testament, an eye for an eye, what? Tooth for a tooth. But in the New Testament, uh, Jesus said, turn the other cheek. Wow. But I say to you, and then this, Everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. The word anger there does not mean a minor, minor irritation. It actually borders on the furious. It's the same word that was used of Moses when the tablets were broken. The same word used of the older brother in Luke 15 who was outraged that the prodigal was getting the reward that he deserved. It's the same exact word that's used of the wrath of Satan who failed to destroy the Messiah, Revelation 12, 17. This is not ticked off. This is not peeved for a moment. This is a deep-seated, seething, boiling, lasting animosity. With that in mind, let me read it again. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And whoever who insults his brother, everyone who insults his brother will be liable to the council. The word there, uh, insults, uh, some translations say uh, racha, which was a term of abuse. And whoever says you fool, See, I, I grew up in a home where my mom was like super, and the lady that my mom was best friends with that they taught the kids the Bible in our basement, they would both say, don't call your, don't, call, don't say fool. Don't call your brother a fool. You can't say that. Don't ever say, you know. How many people grew up with a little bit of that? You can't say fool. You can't say fool. Don't say fool. But that isn't really it. Sorry, mom. There's an escalation here. You're angry and it won't go away. 
and you're in, you, you insult them or you think of things that you would say if you were talking to them. I'd set him straight. I'd settle this. I'd say, I'll say it. And then it escalates to the point where you would say, you fool. It's that long-lasting whole thing. Listen, because this is going to come up at the end of the message. Not a moment, not a minute, not a moment, not a month, but a quarter and a year and a decade of unresolved offense reveals a life that has never been redeemed. If you could put your head on the pillow, not one time, not ten times, but if you could put your head on the pillow a hundred times, a thousand times, and the Holy Spirit can't stir your heart to do what you can. You can't do what you can't. You can only do what you can. All you can do is all you can do. And all you can do is enough. But if you could put your head on the pillow a thousand times and you haven't done all you can do to resolve offense with a brother or a sister, that is the action, that is the heart of a person who doesn't really, truly know Jesus. For to recognize all that we have been forgiven bubbles up in the heart a desire to extend that to those who have offended us. And say, well, aren't there any acceptable reasons for not resolving offense? Uh, there are three. You're like, awesome, this is the part I've been waiting for. <laughs> Here comes my loophole, y'all. <laughs> you might be disappointed. First reason, if you're sitting in church today and you have an unresolved offense, here comes your three exceptions. One, you just need some time. I need some time. If I go right now, I'm going to be so filled with hurt. I'm going to be so filled with, I just need to give it some time. Come on, everybody say, give it some time. Turn to your uh, neighbor and just say, give it some time. It's not wrong to give it some time. But I'm talking days and weeks, maybe months in the extreme, not years, for sure not decades. Clear? I, I need some time. Or maybe, 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 maybe they need some time. I had a mother come up to me last night, estranged from her children for a long time, and I grieved with her. We always say, if you can't pick the fruit, don't bruise it. And sometimes we want this so bad that we're actually pushing away the possibility in our hurry. To let, let God warm their hearts. Let, but just offer, make it clear that you would be warm and receptive. You know, hold out that. It's hard to hold out your hand and have it slapped, isn't it? That's hard to do. But every so often we're willing to do that, but we're not going to push it so hard that we're damaging where injury has happened, where trust has been broken. And so love is patient. Love is kind. It's been interesting over the years to see how many people in God's time saved people will circle around and say through tears, I'm sorry. And it's so wonderful to be waiting and ready and say I've longed for the opportunity to say the same to you. That is a beautiful thing. And that is what we're called to as Christians. Now, God takes it very seriously. If God is saying that people who don't do this aren't my children, they'll end up in hell. That hatred will escalate. They're not going to heaven. What's more serious than that? In fact, it's this serious. Notice, 
Offenses must be resolved. Worship will wait. Worship, worship's the most important thing. Is it? Is worship the most important thing? Is it? I got super busy this week. I meant to study that. Someone just tell me. Is it, to, is it, is it the most important thing? Is it? Is it? So we have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit represented by the Trinity. Okay? God. And then um, you and me. Girl, notice, notice the artwork there. He's got cool hair. You can see that. And then notice, we'll make this um, other people, just people in our lives. And um, this is the whole point about vertical living is you can't have love for God unless you have love for others. It's as simple as that. You can't have you. You can't just have this. It doesn't work to just have this. That's not right. And and by the way, you can't also just have this. Well, I don't care about God. I just love people. Yeah. How long is that going to last? God is the resource to love other people. God is the reason to love everyone. All right. But also God is not interested in vertical affection that does not show up in horizontal affection. Not interested in it. That's why he's like, I need a verse for that. Well, you're in the right paragraph. And thank you for your respect for God's word. Verse 23, so if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then, everyone say then, then come and offer your gift. Now, I just want to say that um, I believe the message of God's word is in God's word. Amen. You don't need to know ancient history. You don't need to know uh, Middle Eastern anything. But just by studying the rest of Scripture, you find out pretty quickly that the gift that's being spoken of here is the annual gift that every God believer was required to bring to Jerusalem annually on the Day of Atonement. They were to bring a lamb. They had to bring a spotless lamb. And by the way, no monorails, no trains, no planes to Jerusalem. They took a boat or walked or rode a burrow days and days, some of them to get there. How many God believers were in Jerusalem on the Day of Atonement? Population swelled 4x. How long were the lines? We're talking way worse than when Apple comes out with a new product and 15 people are camping out overnight. Lines as long as the eye could see. No fast pass. Hands up if you hate lines. And there you are with the lamb under your arm, all sweaty. You're standing in the line, you're standing in the line. The poor people were allowed to have a bird. But it had to be spotless. I don't know if I'd rather hold a lamb or a bird in the line for hours and hours and hours. And finally you say, hey, Martha, only three more people are going to kill this thing and get out of here. 
But then you remember, ah, I lost my temper with Bob before we left town. And your wife's like, no! You're gonna have to wait here. I gotta walk and ride and take a boat and tell Bob I'm sorry, and then I'll come back. Now, how many people think that the people in line were doing savesies? <laughs> so where do you go then? Back to the back of the line. Surely there can be an exception. Surely God will understand, we'll just make things right with God, then we'll go make things right with others. That's the point. We can't. We can't make things right with God until we've made things right with others. Leave your gift at the altar. First be reconciled. And that's not a smooth over. I get smooth over letters. I don't do smooth overs. I love, I forgive, I offer, I wait, I pursue. But let's sit down as brothers and sisters and let's be reconciled to one another. This is what the scripture calls for. Real, true reconciliation. Now, it might be, back to the loopholes, it might be that you need time, okay? Take a few weeks and get your head together on this. It might be that they need time. Love is patient. Here's only the third category. It might be, you know, positional. It might be, uh, the reality is, it's not personal. It's just positional. So if the police pull you over and give you a ticket, and you're ticked because you don't think you're speeding, he doesn't need to work that out with you to go to church. Okay? And if the principal calls you down and says, I heard that you cussed out the teacher, you're expelled for three days, you don't get to stop him in the lobby of the church and say, hey, I gotta work things out with you. He's not offended, he's doing his job. And if the politicians pass a law that you think isn't best, you don't get to be personally offended about that and they don't need to leave their gift at the altar. And if the pastors and elders of the church or your employer make a decision, right or wrong, good for you or not good for you, if it was done in a way that is ungodly or unchristian, then that needs to be resolved. But if it's just someone in a position of authority, these are not what the scripture is talking about. It's talking about we're friends. We shouldn't have acted like that. You shouldn't have said that about her. He has no right to treat him that way. It's personal. This is, everyone say it's personal. If it's positional, if it's professional, that's not what this is talking about. It's talking about if it's personal. Offenses must be resolved that are personal. Worship will wait. Make a note of this, where you are most innocent, because notice that it says in the text, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember your, you would think that it would say you have something against your brother, but it's you remember that your brother has something against you. Uh-oh. 
uh-oh. It's not just what people have done to you that you're good at remembering. It's what you've done to others that you're not good at remembering. It's not just what others have done to me that I'm good at remembering. It's what I've done to others that I'm not good at remembering. It's, it's the thing where I feel the most innocent. Do, do you know what he did? Fine. You still have to leave your gift for your 10% contributive fault and make that right as much as you can. So here's the quote. Where you are most innocent and the cost to you is highest, offense resolution for love's sake is still your responsibility. Worship will wait. Now this, from the last verses in the text, offense must be resolved. Find a compromise fast. So it says here in the text, so if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, verse 24, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. <clears throat> verse 25, come to terms quickly with your accuser. Quickly. Isn't that an interesting word? Come to terms with your accuser quickly while you're going with him to court. Settle out of court. Find a way to compromise. Offenses must be resolved. Find a compromise fast. What would be the word in the text that is leading me to add to the point fast? Come on, say the word out loud in God's word that caused me to say fast. Quickly. And don't you think that's interesting, quickly? How should I do it? Quickly. Yeah, I'm trying to decide if I should call Steve on the phone. Should I call him? You have no idea what Barbara said about my wife. And I'm trying to decide when she should talk to Barbara about it. Anyone have any biblical advice? Quickly. It's such a light word. It's so light and airy. We're so heavy. We take ourselves so seriously. God, they offended me. Big, important me. God, forgive us for all of that. Get as low as you can, as fast as you can, and do what you can to resolve it. What's the word? Come on, say it. Yeah, say it like, the, I think in the Bible it's a little lighter than that. Come on, just when, when should I do it? I need to write a letter to someone I hurt. Tell me when. Quickly. Do it quickly. No, I want to wait. No, do it quickly. Do it. Say it again. I could sit here and do this all day. Should I move on to my next point? Quickly. <laughs> I knew that was coming. I couldn't wait to hear it. <coughs> you guys are great. Now, different temperaments find it hard for different reasons. 
And I've talked before about these temperaments, so I won't uh, belabor this exceedingly stylish chart that I have developed for your learning pleasure. But let's review the four temperaments. See if you can find yourself on the temperament list. First, there is always the choleric because they demand to go first, and then the sanguine and the phlegmatic and the melancholy. The choleric is determined. They're just driving, decisive, determined people. The sanguine is um, delighted, happy, party, fun, telling jokes, laughing deeply. The phlegmatic is distant and contented, uh, beautifully calm and faithful, but okay with fewer people. The melancholy is artistic and creative and detailed and organized. So, hands up if you're cleric. Right, no hands go up. This is always for years, I know. There's no hands go up. Hardly any hands go up because, why? Tell me what to do. I'll put my hand if I want to. <laughs> Gosh, just preach your sermon. Stop giving orders. I say, turn to your neighbor, and they're like, I don't think so. <laughs> um, the melancholy, I'll use them next. The melancholy is, um, put up your hands if you're melancholy. Okay. We got a few more hands there, but not many more, because they're like, how can I decide right now? Why do I have to decide? Can I study it more? Gosh, such pressure you put on me. Maybe I am, kind of, but I, I don't want to be put in a box. All right, phlegmatics, put your hands up. Yeah, it's, immediately, it's the most hands, if you can see what I see. Because phlegmatics are like, fine, 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 keep going. Sanguine, I'm not even going to have them do anything because they cannot wait to raise their hands. In fact, in fact, the sanguine, they'll stand. They said, my time! Love you all. Now let's take the temperaments and let's apply them. Let's apply them. Uh, to people problems. The problem with cholerics as it relates to people is, is that when they're not under the control of the Holy Spirit, they see people as a means to an end, just soldiers in an army, just employees in a company, just hands and feet to get the work done. The sanguine, um, their people problem is, is that they try too hard to please and they're not okay with people not being okay with them and try too hard to have people be okay with them. The phlegmatic, their people problem is, is that they give up too easily and see people as not worth the effort. And the melancholy, um, sadly, uh, sees some people as beyond help. Just, it's too late, it's not, they'll never change. They're just, can be more dark in the way that they think about uh, people's potential to grow. Now, um, the bent that these temperaments have to overcome as it relates to people is the cleric has to overcome their bent to win. In, in the matter of offenses, the cleric wants to win. And they're under the control of the Spirit when they are willing to take a loss in order to really win uh, God's way. And the sanguine, uh, of course, their bent is to have peace. And 
Sometimes they give up way too much for a false peace. The phlegmatic there, bent in uh, offenses, is just to avoid. You hardly know if you offended a phlegmatic unless you notice that they're not around anymore. And then the melancholy, um, they're bent in conflict because they have to be right. Well, I'd work it out with them if they'd figure it out. So, um, what do they need? The cleric needs um, to realize that offenses are not a contest. People are the end. There is no end that isn't people. And the sanguine needs to not pursue peace at all cost. We give up too much sometimes to make a false peace. We smooth it over when it isn't really righteous. The phlegmatic needs to step up and engage again because people matter. And the melancholy needs to relax and make room for other ways of looking at things. So I hope that that's uh, helpful to you because without question, all of us are dealing with this matter of offense in our lives. And notice here in the text, again, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court. Just compromise. Just work it out. Maybe that part didn't matter. Maybe that's not most important. Here's what's most important. Working it out. Getting it handled and settled lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. I preached a series many years ago called The World's Worst Prison, which has no bars. And we incarcerate ourselves in the prison of bitterness when we refuse to resolve offense. Verse 26, truly I say to you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. It's hard to earn the payment for offense resolution when we don't have the ability to generate income anymore. And we get so unhealthy through one offense that we can't even maintain other relationships in a healthy way. Well, I'll say more about this next time, but just to give you the list, the cost of unresolved offense. Some other scriptures will help here. The cost of unresolved offense, number one, it gives Satan a foothold. It gives Satan a foothold. Ephesians chapter 4, 26 and 27 talk about this. Let not the sun go down on your wrath, neither give a place or a foothold to the enemy. I'll say more about that in the weeks to come. Then Hebrews 12, 14 and 15, unresolved offense leads to bitterness. Bitterness, that seething under the surface. Man, if their name comes up. You haven't resolved the offense. You haven't done what you can do. You say, you haven't. I had someone come up to me last night about something that is just not going to get resolved anytime soon. And I said, don't hang your whole life on that. Don't torture your wife and your kids over that. You've done what you can. Leave it with God. Pray for hearts to soften. Check in on it in a year. They're not under your house. You don't see them every day. You feel like you were taken from. You feel like you were wounded and insulted and injured. Lay that down. Leave that with God. So that your heart doesn't become bitter. The Bible says in Hebrews 12 that a bitter spirit defiles many. 
And how often has our bitterness bubbled over into other relationships where we're hurting those that love us best because of what we won't let go of. It gives Satan a foothold. It leads to bitterness. It tarnishes the Lord's name. Romans 2.24 says, Because of these things, the name of the Lord is blasphemed among those that don't believe. Non-believers look at Christians, see their offenses, and say, your faith is a joke. You're following someone who loved incredibly? You can't let go of that? And it becomes so big. I talked to someone recently who told me of a terrible, terrible, terrible injustice in their career. And I said to them, well, I know someone who had their whole business stolen from them, not just lost their job. I know someone who had a man jump out in front of their car who was committing suicide, and he struck the person and killed them, and the family sued him, and he lost everything. There's people in prison today for murders they didn't commit. Why do I let that offense of mine become like Mount Everest in the universe? Well, because it's the biggest slight against me. I think you're on it now. This tarnishes the Lord's name. And look in your own time at Matthew 6, 12 and Matthew 14 and 15. It forfeits God's forgiveness. Neither will your Father in heaven forgive you if you do not forgive your brother, the Scripture says. And then 1 John 3, 5, already quoted, it proves ongoing, unrepented, Unforgiveness proves not truly converted. Let's be good to each other. And let's spur one another on to love and good deeds so that love could continue. We're going to be spending a few weeks on this matter of resolving offense. Today was about it has to happen. It can't be put off. God takes it seriously. There's huge repercussions if we don't find a way to compromise if you can. It's on you. Leave your gift at the altar and get this handled. Come on, let's stand for prayer. Father, it is not lost on me the weight of these words. And so I pray in this moment that any imprecise or imperfect or inaccurate words from this messenger would fall to the ground as nothing. But I pray that those words from your word that resonate in your heart would weigh with great gravity upon ours. And where we have held on to hurt and persisted in offense, because it damages our pride, which so grieves you and so insulates us from the things that you have for us. Lord, you know I'm not a stranger to these 
feelings. And so I pray for these loved ones as I've prayed for myself, for the grace to forgive. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from us with all malice. And let us be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven us. And because you filled up our lives and filled up our eternity with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, Father, we pray for the courage most of us have a face or two in mind. Most of us could write down a name or three. And whether it's a call or a note, whether it's an email or a surprising offer of hand or embrace, let us be the ministers of your grace and let us love as those who are deeply and eternally loved. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Now come on, y'all go do this. You are loved.